On this episode of the This Is Believing podcast, I am joined by MJ Hurley, who is the host of Next Man Up with MJ, and he writes about the Oakland Athletics for fan-sided at White Cleat Beat. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Uh, I figured reaching out to you to talk about the Oakland Athletics right now uh, probably be a good idea considering where they are standing in the terms of public relations at this moment in time. Uh, for the record, it is Thursday, May 28th, and if things have changed since the recording and since when this is posted, you know it was recorded on May 28th. But what exactly is going on there? Can you elaborate? Yeah, so I, I agree. The A's are not uh, doing fantastic in terms of public relations right now. Uh, so the other day, the A's announced that they would not only not be paying their minor leaguers um, the $400 a week that has kind of become customary um, right now during the pandemic. Pretty much every major league team has been paying all their minor leaguers um, $400 a week. Now, I've talked to some minor leaguers. Basically, what I'm hearing is there are some minor leaguers who are still really young. There are a couple that are uh, some that are in low a ball or rookie that are still 18, 19. A lot of them are still living with their families. So for them, that's not as much of a worry. But when we're talking about the double AA, A, triple A guys who have been in the in the minor leagues, they're 26 years old. They have a wife and kids, and this is their main income. I mean, $400 a week doesn't even cut it. So to take that away. Um, especially when then right after John Fisher, the A's owner, announced that they wouldn't be paying the minor leaguers, um, there was a tweet and kind of a report brought out that, I mean, the guy is worth over $2 billion, and he's not willing to pay what would amount to about a million dollars for the rest of the season um, to pay all of those minor leaguers. And then he also sent out an email to all of the A's staff um, saying there's going to be significant furloughs on that on the team um, just in all of the staff whether that be Oakland Coliseum staff related to the Oakland A's scouts things like that Um, so right before the draft the Oakland A's have laid off a lot of their scouts which also just in terms of baseball um, not just baseball etiquette but also baseball policy like just for the sake of competition, that's not a good idea um, to lay off a lot of your scouts right before the draft. The Ra- the Raiders did that also. Apparently, it's an Oakland thing. The Raiders <laughs> did that last year before the draft. I don't know what's in the water in Oakland. I don't know what's in the water in that Coliseum. I know the sewers are messed up, so maybe that has something to do with it. But um, apparently, Oakland has something about laying off their scouts right before the draft. Um, so that that's kind of what's going on in Oakland. There was a lot of outrage over it. Um, something that was interesting to me, a lot of the players didn't seem very surprised. I mean, obviously they're upset, um, but the minor leaguers, I think, were kind of expecting it. Um, and I know a lot of minor leaguers have been working, having to work one or two jobs right now on top of training and staying in baseball shape, and they don't even know if they're going to play this year. Um, and most likely minor leagues will not play in the same capacity that they normally play in. But let's say you're sitting in double A AA or triple A, you kind of still have to stay in shape um, in case somebody on the major league roster does get injured, you're going to get called up. So it's a very unfortunate situation. Hopefully by the time this podcast actually comes out something will change um but i would not be surprised if the situation is still the same by the time this show does come out yeah and four hundred dollars a week that's that's nothing that is not much at all uh 
it's it's basically like here's some money as like a, a courtesy. It's not even like here live off of this. It's like here I'm the owner, have some money, and that that's it. Maybe you can do something with this. Hopefully, you're living with seven or eight other minor leaguers. Maybe you're still living with your parents. Maybe you happen to be from a a good situation family wise where your family is wealthy, so you don't necessarily have to rely on that money. But there are a lot of players that. That's not the case. Uh, there are a lot of guys that are on their own, and you know, money is probably very tight to begin with, and not getting it's going to be just a massive, massive uh, impact on their lives. And to put this in context, James, I'm a 20 year old college student, right? So I'm used to being broke. Okay, and this summer I, I have a little summer job at my school. I am making more than that a week at my summer job. So, and what I do does not take the amount of skill that a minor league baseball player has. So just to put that in a little bit of context, like these guys should be getting paid way more. And let alone if you get into the whole negotiation between the MLB Players Association and the owners where they want Mike Trout to make like $7.8 million instead of 35, where Prince Fielder would be making more money than any player in Major League Baseball this year. And he hasn't played in like four years or Bobby Bonilla would be making more than the reigning home run champ Pete Alonso. Like there are a lot of ridiculous things going on in baseball right now, um, and it'll be fascinating to see where all of that goes. <clears throat> Because we are at a very large impasse in a very large amount of ways right now. I, I think uh, an interesting point you brought up there is, uh, you know, the amount of money that someone who's supposed, supposed to be making like $30, 35000000 million is, is only going to be making, you know, with a reduced salary. But the reason that those particular players keep getting brought up is to distract from the large amount of players who are making significantly less than that. So it makes okay. the, the, you know, the... <laughs> A, a terrible tactic by Major League Baseball to make their best, most marketable players look bad. I don't know whose idea that was, but it's terrible. <laughs> well, James, I, I've i been saying this for a very long time, that Major League Baseball is awful at marketing. And don't get me wrong, I love baseball. Um, I think Major League Baseball does a fantastic job in terms of trying to uh, make the game as the game itself as marketable as it can. But in terms of their best players, I mean, I say this all the time. If Mike Trout walked up to a random person on the street, there's probably at least half of the United States that would have no freaking clue who that is. Mm -hmm. And some of the people who know who that is. It's probably because they see him on TV at Philadelphia Eagles games or something like that, not because he's actually the best baseball player in the world and possibly the best baseball player we've ever freaking seen. It's not like it's because they see him on TV other places not actually playing baseball. So not only does Major League Baseball have a marketing problem, which I've harped on on my show and everywhere I can um, for a while now, but like they're going after specifically, like you said, Guys like Mike Trout and Garrett Cole who are making a ridiculous amount of money. And yes, they're the ones that can afford to lose it the most. But even if you look at the guys who would be making normally a million dollars this year, they're going to be taking like a 66% pay cut, which is – or sorry, 56% pay cut at least right now, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous. So to me, I mean I don't know what's going to happen. Um, this is going to take a little bit of time to figure out, but I don't understand – um, 
I mean, we saw Max Scherzer last night speak out on Twitter. He basically said the Players Association should not negotiate with, with Major League Baseball. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen. But right now, it the, the situation doesn't look very bright. No, not at all. And um, just to go back uh, on the A's owner for one second... Uh, you yeah. mentioned his his net worth being at, at two billion. Uh, I always make it a point when when net worth of owners is brought up that doesn't necessarily mean cash flow or cash on hand because Absolutely. people seem to confuse the two, and that seems to be a, a a very contentious topic when discussing that. I'm sure he has more than enough money to pay all these players for the next five years on hand right now. You know, with the, that four hundred dollar a week thing, but. That's just that's besides the point. I always try to make a, a point to make sure people know that worth, cash flow are different. <laughs> Definitely. But, I mean, in most cases, I'm not going to say all cases. Um, I'll never say that. But, yeah, in most cases, somebody who has a net worth of $2 billion probably has around a million dollars laying around. Now, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. I don't know John Fisher's financial situation. But, I mean, it would be troubling to me if the owner of the A's didn't have a million dollars lying in wait for something like this. So mm-hmm. maybe they don't. Maybe this is a larger situation that the A's are in financial trouble. I don't know. Uh, yeah, and I'm glad you, you brought up those two specific words, financial trouble. Uh, yes. uh, because, as we know, the Oakland Athletics are, uh, whether... Some of it by necessity, some of it by choice. They are more of one of the frugal franchises in baseball. Um, you know, everyone knows about Moneyball and all that other stuff. And people got yes. really into it when the movie came out and it lasted for a couple more years. And, you know, you know, kind of paired with the rise of analytics and war, people got really into it. But this current situation we're in now, where there is no baseball where it doesn't seem like there's going to be baseball this year. Uh, in a recent post I had, I put the percentage of baseball coming back at 0.5%, in my opinion. Just my opinion, how I feel. But with no baseball, with no income, the A's could be in a, a situation with some of their star players where they might have to trade them earlier than they wanted to or even if they didn't even want to. Yeah, it, it'll be very interesting, uh, James. So if we look at specifically um, 2024 or 2023 and 2024 are going to be the really big years for the Oakland A's. After this season, Marcus Simeon is a free agent. Most people don't think that Marcus Simeon is going to stay. He would have to take a big hometown discount. Um, and he has pretty much said he's not going to take that hometown discount because, I mean, he's honestly not made that much money so far in his career. Um, his time in Chicago, he was on his rookie deal. Um, now with the A's, he has not made that much money either um, because he was honestly not very good coming out of Chicago. So the A's got him at a pretty cheap premium, which was fantastic. That's what we do. We turn him into an MVP-level shortstop. Um, so then if you look at Matt Chapman and Matt Olson, those are the two guys the A's are really looking to keep. Matt Olson obviously is going to be a lot cheaper. He's not the superstar that Matt Chapman, um, in my opinion, will eventually be. Again, the big problem is Matt Chapman is represented by Scott Boris. That has not gone very well for the Oakland A's, or really anyone for that matter, <laughs> um, in the past. And even just side note, Trevor Bauer talking on Twitter about how apparently Scott Boris is meddling in the union negotiations with the owners. I would not want to be Scott Boris getting crossed by Trevor Bauer. That's just a side note. Oh, oh, but anyway, as, as someone who covers the Indians, I'm very much aware of the uh, impact Trevor Bauer has uh, via social media and how once he decides that you are his target, you're done. 
it's over, you're going to lose. And the fact that it's someone like Scott Boris that's going to lose in this situation, I think that's going to be very interesting to see play out. Definitely. So good luck to Scott Boris. Um, but anyway, back to his client, Matt Chapman. Um, I really think that the A's will do everything within their power to keep Matt Chapman and Matt Olson. So what I've been told is that the Oakland A's um, will not increase their salary. They will not increase their payroll until grounds on their new stadium have been broken. Um, so, and because when that happens, they're going to get a lot of new revenue. They're going to get a new TV deal when that happens. So until the Oakland A's are actively con in construction with a new stadium, our payroll will not increase. Now, Matt Chapman and Matt Olson around the 2023-2024 range are going to be going into free agency. So yes, in the next three to four years, the A's could break ground on the new stadium. But in the last couple of days, the Chronicle was actually reporting that those plans, obviously because of the pandemic, are very delayed, not just because construction of a new baseball stadium is not essential right now, mm -hmm. but also obviously, like we've been talking about the A's, really don't have that much money so losing possibly an entire season's worth of fan revenue um i mean the a's don't really have that ma many fans to begin with a lot of our money comes from other places that's one of the problems um we also don't have a very lucrative tv deal like a team like the dodgers or the red sox or uh the yankees do so those are two big problems um and that's another thing that I really do think Major League Baseball could do better is not necessarily revenue sharing, but allowing more teams to go on national broadcast games because the A's barely get on any nationally broadcast games and you get money for all of those games. So if they go on Sunday Night Baseball and ESPN, the A's would get money for that game, especially they would get even more money if it's broadcast at home. So allowing more teams to even have the opportunity to go on nationally broadcast games i think that would level the playing field unfortunately major league baseball is very tight with the rights to their games um mm -hmm. so it's very hard to get nationally broadcast games you really can't see the oakland A's for the most part outside of central california and even then we have the ridiculous blackout rules uh that most areas have i live in chicago and most of the time i can't watch a chicago cubs game if it's on mlb network and they don't even have it on local TV. So I'm like, I don't I don't know where I'm supposed to watch baseball if I want to watch. Um, so it, it's ridiculous sometimes, James. But for me, the Oakland A's will not be able to keep – I mean, I don't see a way Marcus Simeon stays, especially now, because he's going to be on his way out. He's going to be looking for a team that can give him money, especially after this season. That's not going to be the A's. Uh, but most importantly, I do think that – Matt Chapman would be the exception to the rule. If you look back to the early 2000s, they re-signed Eric Chavez, um, who was the star third baseman of the early 2000s for the A's. Mm -hmm. He signed for a lot of money in, just in terms of general contracts, let alone for the A's. That's pretty much been our only exception. We've let a countless number of stars go, whether we let them walk or we trade them. Most of the time we trade them um, to try to get something back in return. I do think that Matt Chapman would be the exception. But I will say that if we cheap, if we do keep Matt Chapman, um, unless we get a ridiculous amount of TV revenue or something from that new stadium, I doubt that we will be able to keep Chapman and Olsen, which just for the sake of the fans is very disappointing. Mm -hmm. um, also for the Oakland A's, I really do think Matt Olsen has made Matt Chapman better because Olsen is a fantastic first baseman. His defensive war is amazing. He is a fantastic defender. He is a great guy right behind Matt Chapman in the lineup. He protects him in that lineup a lot. Um, so unless the A's can get another first baseman of that caliber waiting in the wings to support Chapman, 
um, when that time does come. I do think that Chapman's value might suffer just a little bit. Yeah, and I, I want those guys in Oakland to stay. Um, as as an Indians fan, I understand the exact same thing that the Athletics go through with you know developing star players and having to make the decision of do we trade them to get something back or let them walk and get nothing. Uh, you know, considering that we're literally staring down the barrel of Francisco Lindor's future right now, um, I just didn't know how how much talks about guys like Chapman and Olsen are in regards to the A's and their future with the team, especially with uh, the loss of revenue this season. Yeah, it, it's a very dim future. It's not very bright at the moment. Um, but who knows? If the A's can break ground in a new stadium, uh, whether that be at Howard Terminal or whether that be on the grounds of O.co right now, I really don't know. I don't even think the Oakland A's know right now. I think they're leaning Howard Terminal for the sake of the fans and the environment, especially after losing the Raiders and the Warriors. I really do hope the A's stay. Oakland deserves a professional not just a professional baseball team, but a professional sports team. So losing, I don't even know how detrimental that could be just to the economy of Oakland if the Raiders, the A's, and the Warriors all left in like a five-year span. Yeah, that would be kind of a, an old takes exposed moment for their hashtag rooted in Oakland uh, if they end up leaving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because once I saw it popped it up, I'm like, oh, the Raiders are leaving. I see what they're doing. I see what they're doing. Yep. And oh, Warriors are moving they, over they to tried. San Francisco. That would just be an all-timer because they have so many tweets with, with just the hashtag rooting in Oakland on it. And, and the old takes exposed guy might get a little overwhelmed with those. But uh, looking at the, uh, the Athletics roster, they have a, a good mix of players. Uh, you know, they have some, you know, someone like Matt Chapman, who is a superstar caliber player, but he just doesn't get the attention because he plays in Oakland. Uh, Matt Olson's a great player. Uh, who are some other guys that, you know, maybe are under the radar for people that don't necessarily pay attention to the athletics all that much? So for me, the guy I was excited for the most this year, and even when the season resumes, I'll be very excited for, is D.H. Chris Davis. Most people know him as Mr. 247 <laughs> uh, because that's his average every single – it was like three or four years in a row until last year. It was lower than that. Um, he was just – he was hurt at the beginning of last year. He was never really able to find his his rhythm, his groove. Um, one of the things with Chris Davis, he had, a, he had a hip injury at the beginning of the year. And his hips do really weird things when he swings. I, he's, a, he's a smaller guy. I don't know how he generates such ridiculous power. It's quite impressive. Um, so props to whoever coached Chris Davis at a young age because you created a fantastic hitter. Um, but the guy creates a ridiculous amount of power with his hips. So because his hips were hurt, he was just not very good last year. So I'm very excited for Chris Davis to return to his 247, 47 home runs a year form. <laughs> Um, and then obviously we have our two young pitchers, Hazel Cesardo and AJ Pook. Um, those guys are fantastic. I really do think I have some concerns about both of them in terms of injury. I think everybody in the Oakland organization does. Um, they have both had some sort of major surgery in the last couple of years. They've both recovered very well and they both looked amazing in their short time in the major leagues last year. Um, so they were kind of projecting as the three and four for the A's at the time being um, right now. Um, but also Sean Manea was going to be our ace 
Um, he also returned from injury last year. The A's have, re- I mean, we just have terrible injury luck in terms of pitchers. The amount of guys in like 2017 to 2019 who had Tommy John surgery, it was a grocery list of pitchers who were hurt. And that's why we had journeymen like Trevor Cahill and Edwin Jackson coming back to the A's and somehow they were able to get us to the playoffs. I still don't know how that happened, but I really am excited. I was excited uh, to be clear, for the A's pitching staff, um, not really sure how the uh, the closers and their bullpen was going to go. We had Liam Hendricks, who was an all-star last year um, after the A's had gone through a little bit of closer purgatory for about a year. Um, but I, it'll be interesting to see how the relievers do. That's probably not our strongest suit, um, but we still do have Yusmero Pettit, Joaquin Soria, Lou Trevino, uh, those guys backing up Liam Hendricks. So that'll probably be okay. Um, and then somebody else I'd like to mention real quick is Ramon Luriano, who is probably best known for his defensive prowess. He's basically a smaller Mike Trout in center field, if you want to put it that way. Um, he does a lot of robbing home runs on that short center field wall um, in Odako Coliseum. And, I mean, just for his defense, his offense isn't great. He has a little bit of power. He'll give you 20 home runs a year, probably 15, 20 steals. Um, But his real value is on the defensive side of the ball. Um, And, I mean, I really do think that he could be one of the top center fielders defensively in the game for the next couple years. I love Ramon Lariano. He's got an absolute cannon for an arm. How far he throws the ball is just absolutely amazing. It's It's like Trevor Bauer throwing it over the center field wall in Kansas City. Oh God! <laughs> yes, it, it's just th- that that level of ease, that level of power, and and accuracy. That that's something that that matters there when you're trying to you know get outfield assists is accuracy. You can throw it far; that's awesome. But if you're not accurate, who cares? Definitely. Now, someone uh, I've always I've always kind of liked on the A's. You mentioned him was uh, was Chris Davis. Uh, I pulled up his stats here. It was 247 four years in a row, and the year before that it was 244. So, oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, so that's uh, that's going back to when he was in Milwaukee. So the dude just he's consistent and he hits homers, and who doesn't love that? <laughs> and especially with the Oakland A's, we've been doing that since the Bash brothers, Canseco and McGuire. I mean, we don't really care about average. Matt Chapman hit like. 240 something last year um he wasn't even that impressive um in terms of average but the man can hit home runs yeah he hit 249 last year but he hit 36 home runs and drove in 91 runs marcus simeon hit 285 which isn't even great but he hit 33 home runs matt olsen hit 267 but he hit 36 home runs so if you you want to play for the A's, you just got to hit home runs. We don't care about your average. But yeah, Chris Davis needs to raise that 220 from last year. He needs to bring it up to 247. Yeah, 247's a good, solid, consistent number for him. <laughs> uh, how did the, the A's uh, shape up in the AL West if the season does resume? Uh, you know, also consider the the 10 team division NL West combination uh, proposal. How would they shape up and all of that? So I'm a little scared because the Oakland A's seem to forget how to play baseball until mid-June. So I don't know if – it really is true. I don't know if that is a timing mechanism. Like if we started right now, um, they would suck for a week, and then once it's actually mid-June, they'd be great again. Or is it actually they need half of a 
162 game season to get their life together and remember how to play baseball. I'm not sure which one it is. We'll figure it out this year. Um, but the A's, the last two years, they've made the playoffs because of their second half record. Definitely not their first half record. So I'm a little scared about that. Um, I do think that if we can play like our second half selves the last two years, then we will do very well, especially because I think the Houston Astros are going to take a big regression. Um Mostly just because of the mental aspect of I think they're going to get a lot of hate, a lot of disrespect, obviously, because of um, the events that have transpired this last offseason and the cheating scandal. Um, Shout out to the trash cans in Houston. And just a side note, I noticed that I I didn't notice the sound of the actual trash cans watching games when the A's played in Houston. But my dad and I always noticed, boy, the A's just get killed when they go to Houston. Like. Mm -hmm. To be clear, we got beaten by the Astros when they came to Oakland, but it was a lot closer. And it, it was a lot more competitive than when we were in Houston. We'd get beaten like 13 to 1 on a regular basis. I'm like, how is it that our pitchers are just that much worse in Houston? And I mean, I never put it together. But then when the scandal came out, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. So uh, I really do think that the Astros will take a step back, whether that just be mental, uh, whether that be because of how they're treated. I do think they'll get beaned a little bit more than normal. But I think the umpires in Major League Baseball will be looking at that. Um, But just for the Astros, uh, I do think they will take a step back. I don't think they'll win 100 games. Um, And the A's almost won 100 games last year. So if we can kind of reproduce that winning percentage, obviously not touching 100 games because we're not probably even going to play 100. Um, So that would be difficult to reach. But if we can match kind of that winning percentage, I think we'll at least make a wild card. Um, It it will be tough playing the NL West in that format that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. um, especially because, you know, you're matching up against the Dodgers. The Diamondbacks are an improved roster. Um, The Giants are always a tough opponent for the A's just because of the history there. Um, And then, you know, the Dodgers are a powerhouse. And then the Padres, they've even retooled some. So, yes, that is a tough division to match up against. Um, But then, you know, you have the Angels and the Mariners who are never really great so I, I think the A's will be okay um, if I had to predict I'd say we'd be a wild card team that would be my guess right now um, but that could definitely slide way out of the window if we end up playing like our first uh, half of the season selves um, throughout the entire 82 game season which is what we're looking at right now the, the the Angels are an interesting team you know they went out and they signed Anthony Rendell and they got Joel Madden to be their manager uh, <clears throat> you know they always got Mike Trout and you know you were expecting the full version of Shohei Otani this year. There's, uh, they're a very interesting team. I think they have a, a very high ceiling. It's whether or not they can reach it and where that floor is, because that floor of the Angels team always seems to be very low, and it seems like they always tend to be closer to the floor than the ceiling. Well, their problem has always been they don't really have pitching, and that's why I love Shohei Otani so much. I actually made a video recently um, that got me a little bit of a little bit of crap, but it's okay. I'll I'll give you the hot takes on here too, where I talked about how, in my opinion, and I need to be very specific with this so I don't piss uh, as many people off as I probably will. Um, on one given day, so we're talking about one given baseball game, Shohei Otani can be more valuable than Mike Trout. Now, let that sink in a little bit for you. And the reason being because he plays both ways. So on one given day, he could basically win the game by himself. He could throw a shutout and hit a home run, right? Yeah, So I'm with you. On a given day, he could 
he can bring more value to the team than Mike Trout. And that's why I think Shohei Otani is so fascinating because we haven't really seen a guy like him play both ways really since Babe Ruth, if you think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And Babe Ruth was revolutionary in his day, not because he was a good pitcher, but because he was a pitcher who could hit Mm -hmm. and hit home runs, right? So I really do think that Shohei Otani will be special. I think he's going to somewhat alter the landscape of Major League Baseball. We've already seen the Angels bring in multiple two-way players after they brought in Shohei Otani. So clearly they liked what they saw. Um, unfortunately, he had Tommy John surgery. But the guy had a, a low three ERA when he was pitching in the Major Leagues. And through basically an entire season, he hit about 30 home runs and hit in the high 280s, I believe. So the guy was extremely impressive. Um, So that's what excites me most about the Angels. But then if you look at the rest of their pitching staff, not very exciting, not very impressive. Um, So in that sense, I would be scared for the Angels pitching. But yeah, their lineup is going to be terrifying next year. Yeah, you know, good offensive lineup. I I think... uh... The, to help with their pitching, the fact that they brought uh, former Mets manager and former Indians coach Mickey Calloway into the mix might be able to help a little bit in that regard. Uh, didn't have the best run with the Mets, but he was very uh, productive uh, and beneficial uh, person when he was with the Indians, and he helped get a lot of the guys who seemed to be for you know outside and you know some people that pay attention to the Indians relatively unknown people and help develop them and transform them into some of the guys that we have today and that we've seen since, you know, depart. So I, I think I think he'll help their pitching staff. But again, I do share the same concern with their pitching staff overall because, I mean, it, it's basically Shohei Otani and not a whole lot else. Yeah, I mean, they were trying to rely last year on Matt Harvey as their ace, which which is just not a good idea. I mean, he was great when he was with New York for the couple years, but he's really fallen off. Uh, so relying on Matt Harvey as your ace without Shohei Otani, that kind of shows where your pitching staff is. Yeah, no, it's not great. Uh, they're going to have to try and figure something out there, but uh, I, I'm, I'm not opposed to your Shohei Otani take, though. Let me tell you that. I'm not opposed to it because uh, on the days that... The Angels play a game in a National League ballpark with National League rules where he's pitching. He can be more valuable. Well, thank you for agreeing with me, James, because there were not many people on social media that were agreeing with me. So I appreciate that. I, I will say it's a very specific scenario, though. Cause yes, mo- it is. Because that, more often than not, he's pitching or hitting. He's not doing both. Yes, but even then, if you just look at the entire season, he has the ability to bring more value. Because if you if you bring together an entire, I mean, it would help if he played like first base or something, and he mm-hmm. had extra defensive war, like for that pure number. But if you just look at an entire season, I mean, if the man hits 280 with 30 home runs and 100 RBIs, and starts 25 games with a mid three ERA, I mean, if I had to choose between that stat line and Mike Trout. It would be a discussion. I'll just put it that way. It would be a difficult discussion in my mind. I'd probably still pick Mike Trout because, you know, he's probably going to be the greatest player of all time when it's all said and done. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you gave me those two stat lines, I would have to think about it long and hard for a while. Yeah, like you said, a discussion is necessary to have at that moment in time. Um, Two things. You you brought up the, the Astros for a second. Uh, one, yes, I'm, I did. I, I'm, I'm disappointed uh, uh, with the current situation that we have and the fact that um, 
you know, there isn't baseball and there's no fans at games. But because the Astros are supposed to come to Cleveland uh, this year, and the giveaway was this metal tumbler. Oh and boy! So, oh yeah. So if you don't think everyone would have been banging that metal tumbler the entire game, uh, <laughs> and so that's kind of disappointing because I wanted to I wanted to bang the crap out of some metal tumbler thing that uh, they were giving away. <laughs> yeah, I mean we already saw it. In the limited spring training, we had Yankees fans were bringing their own trash cans yeah. to the spring training parks and banging the crap out of them. So, I mean, I was truly excited to see the treatment that the Astros got. They were going to get booed everywhere and anywhere that they could. I honestly think that, I mean, if you look at, like, Rangers fans, say, I think Rangers fans would turn out in droves even more than usual for those games where the Rangers are away in Houston. Um, so I would have loved to see those games to see the Astros booed significantly in their home park. Um, so hopefully, just for that sake, the season resumes so we can see them get booed. I don't want to. I mean, I don't want to say publicly that I want them to get hit, um, but we know that there is a code in baseball, and sometimes that is how. Um, issues are resolved, so I will not be surprised if that does occur more often than usual. Yeah, the uh, the last time um, um, I remember, uh, you were talking about, I'm sorry, I don't know, a terrible transition on my part, but you were talking about how the A's always seem to get uh, absolutely lit up when they played Houston. Yes. And that reminded me of when the Indians were playing the Astros in 2017, no, 2018. And how they just sat on every single Corey Kluber slider and didn't swing. Every single one. And, and that like, doesn't happen. That's not normal. He has such just an electric slider. And the fact that it was just like, what the fuck? They're like, just, they are not swinging. And as we know, that that's like his one of his best pitches was that slider. And they just weren't swinging, and it was it just it was very confusing at the time when we learned about this. It was like, oh, that's how they did it. Yeah, and I think that's how pretty much everybody has responded. We're like, oh, that makes a lot more sense now. The five foot, how tall is Jose Otuve? Like five foot six, right? Yeah, he's, and, he's not that tall. Yeah, so five, randomly six. the five foot six guy becomes one of the best players in baseball and wins MVP. Huh, that's not suspicious at all. But we just accepted it. We're like, oh, that's a really cool story. He's five foot six and he's one of the best players in baseball. He's still a fantastic hitter even without that. Um, but he was not an MVP level hitter. His batting average jumped like thirty or forty points the year that he used the trash can system the most. So and he was hitting for power. I, it, exactly. Which also five foot six like. Yeah, Chris Davis is a little guy and he generates power, but he's still like 5'11". He's still a pretty big dude. Mm -hmm. I mean, even for his size, like he's jacked. And Jose Altuve is not really jacked. Like he doesn't look like he's supposed to generate that much power. And the man was hitting 30 home runs. Granted, that short porch in left field in Houston is a lot easier to hit home runs in. But it's still you still got to lift the ball. Like there's a lot involved in that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that, that was what was 
kind of angering to me the most, not just as an A's fan that we got shellacked by them so many times, but just like there were guys whose careers were ruined. There were guys who lost out on awards because of the Astros, not even to bring up like whether or not their World Series was legitimate, things like that. So, Well, well, first off, I don't think their World Series is legitimate, so let's just start there. Second of all, at the time when Jose Altuve won the MVP— he was the person who I was. I wasn't like pounding the table. I'm like I was like Jose Altuve is the MVP, and the other person was Aaron Judge. And a, a couple weeks ago, um, I, I said I was talking to someone who's a, a Yankees fan, and I, I said, like, here's the deal: uh, Jose Altuve does not deserve that MVP. It should have gone to Aaron Judge. Yeah, I agree. And so that's that's where I'm at with that. The, the World Series, uh, I don't think it's legitimate, but at the same time, it doesn't mean uh, taking the trophy away if you wanted to do that. I really don't care if they do that. But that doesn't suddenly make the Dodgers the winners. That's uh, that's just how I feel. And I feel that I think some people are like, take the trophy away. Like it's suddenly going to make the Dodgers the winners of that World Series when it's really not going to do anything because they, they well, know no, that be- they still lost. Right. And in my opinion, they would have lost either way, because if you look at it, the 2018 um, AL Championship Series, I believe, was the Yankees and the Astros. The Yankees won all three games in New York. It was not close. They kind of destroyed the Astros in those three games. And the Astros won, I believe, three out of their four games in Houston in that um, AL Championship Series were one-run games. So it was literally the difference and they hit a lot of home runs at home in that series. That system kind of was the difference between them going to the World Series or not, and I really do think that whoever came out of the AL was going to beat the Dodgers. The Dodgers were not um, just, they were not the best team, even, they were probably, in my opinion, the fourth best team in the championship series that year, Um, but I I really do think the Yankees specifically got cheated out of it, because then the next year, um, they got cheated by the Red Sox, who, in my opinion, used the same system as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Not not trash cans specifically, but it's also kind of suspect that Alex Cora goes to the Red Sox immediately that year, Mm -hmm. and somehow Mookie Betts then wins an MVP out of nowhere, and they win a World Series out of nowhere. Maybe a coincidence, but I think not. Yeah, I remember... Uh, I was watching uh, the 2018 uh, ALCS as a as an unbiased party, just wanted to watch it. Then there was one specific play where the ball went off the wall, then into the glove, but they said it was immediately off the glove. Do you remember this whole thing? Yes, I do. Yep. And I mean, I don't know what your opinion was, but I watched that video 10,000 times when that when that game happened. I'm like, the ball went off the wall, then the glove. It wasn't the wall. That's just my opinion. Then yeah. at, at that moment, I'm just like, I want the Astros to lose now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I wanted the Astros. Well, that series was hard for me because I'm like, I don't, even the entire playoffs, I'm like, I don't like the Astros, but I don't like the Dodgers, and I don't really like the Yankees either. So I'm like, I don't really want any of these people to win. Um, but yeah, especially after that, I'm like, yeah, I could I could live with the Astros losing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, so let me wrap this up with, with two questions for you, okay? One... Yes. Uh, who is your all-time favorite athletics player? And two, who is your favorite current athletics player? So, all-time favorite athletics player is Ioannis Cespedes. Um, 
I don't really know why, but so I'm 20 years old. I was 12, I believe, when we signed him. He was just exciting. Mm-hmm. He brought a lot of swagger to the A's that they had never had before. He hit home runs. He had a he has a literal like army caliber cannon attached to his <laughs> right arm. It is ridiculous. I'm sure you've seen the throw in L.A. Mm-hmm. from the corner where he just kind of spins around and casually throws the ball 340 yards or 340 feet. Sorry, uh, the yards would be ridiculous. He just like spins around and throws at 340 feet. I mean, the man is incredible. Um, so he is my all time favorite um, Oakland A. Probably honorable mention to Scott Hatterberg for obvious reasons. Moneyball. That's my favorite movie of all time. Um, so I love Scott Hatterberg for that moment um, with the all-time AL win streak. But Ioannis Cespedes would have to be my favorite player of all time um, for the Oakland A's. And then currently, um, honestly, I probably have to go Chris Davis just for the average and for the nerd in me that enjoys <laughs> the weird stats. Um, and the man can just hit bombs. And he's fun to watch. And the fact that he cannot throw for the life of him. I mean, the man has no arm at all. Such a comparison from Yuan Assessvitis. The guy cannot field, the guy cannot throw, but he can hit the ball really hard and really far. And yes, he misses about three out of four times, but those one out of four times when the man connects, you better watch out because that is must see TV. Yeah, that's a that's a that's that's very accurate. Uh, I went and saw the Oakland A's back in the mid nineties when Mark McGuire was still on the team, and I thought that was just awesome. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that guy was great, but, you know, steroids are a thing because he was tiny when he first came to the A's, and then in a couple years, he was massive, and that doesn't happen That doesn't happen just naturally. Okay, well, uh, let's, let's have one last conversation here because you just, you, yes. uh, I want to get your opinion on this. Steroids in baseball. Uh, I know people get all fed up or, you know, all worked up about steroids in baseball, I'll let you know my opinion, and uh, then you can tell me yours, and or whether or not you agree with mine. I think the effect and impact that steroids in baseball has is not as large as some people make it out to be. Because if you still have terrible eye-hand coordination, it doesn't matter how many steroids you take. If you can't hit the ball with the bat, who cares? Same thing for pitching. If you can't hit the glove, it doesn't matter how fast you throw the ball. Yes and no. Um, I agree with that. So let's take Barry Bonds, for example, right? The the biggest example of mm-hmm. steroids, because it's very clear the man used steroids. He was, I mean, even a bit, even bigger transition than Mark McGuire. McGuire was already a bigger dude, but mm-hmm. Barry Bonds relied on speed the beginning of his career in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden the man set the record for home runs. That doesn't, that especially does not happen naturally. Um so, yes, Barry Bonds probably would have been a Hall of Famer with or without steroids because he was averaging 30-30, mm-hmm. 30 homers, 30 steals. The guy was extremely talented. He was probably a gold glover and a silver slugger and probably would have been that perennially in the NL whether or not he took steroids. So I don't argue that Barry Bonds should not be in the Hall of Fame because, in my opinion, as long as he stayed healthy, he was going to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, regardless, the problem I have is – the it kind of messes with because we love doing comparisons so we Mm -hmm. love comparing people from different ages and yes guys have been taking things like hgh or even um something like adderall or something like that just kind of a performance enhancing substance 
people have been taking medis- medications like that for a very long time. Um, so I don't doubt that a lot of other players have been doing that. I just, I'm kind of a baseball purist. And in my opinion, I don't think we need to see home runs. I don't think we need to see pitchers throwing 100, 103 miles an hour mm-hmm. uh, for the game to be exciting. I think that's kind of why Major League Baseball lets a lot of it slide. I mean, if they really wanted to and crack down on all of the steroid usage, I doubt we would have many players left. I mean, there was even a report that Mike Trout um, has some quote-unquote medical issue that requires him to take HGH. Like, Mike Trout takes HGH, but it's because of a medical issue. Mm -hmm. Whether or not that's legitimate, I don't know, but it's Mike Trout, so nobody cares, right? The same reason reason that nobody really cared that Barry Bonds was taking steroids. I mean, some of the baseball purists now care. The people voting for the Hall of Fame clearly care. Um, So in that sense, me as a baseball purist, I don't love it. Um, I'm not going to go out and attack people for using steroids. Um, But if you look at somebody like Sammy Sosa, I don't think Sammy Sosa was a Hall of Fame player without steroids. And so that's why I don't think he should get in the Hall of Fame. I don't really have a problem with Barry Bonds getting in, but I I do think that people are kind of just using Barry Bonds as an example. Like, we're not going to put the home run leader into the Hall of Fame because he used steroids. So I get both sides of the argument, but just the baseball purist in me that likes a lot of the hit and run, the stealing, just the mind games that go into baseball, Mm -hmm. um, I like the style of game that baseball is with less steroids in it. Well, and, yeah, and I agree with you. I was just I'm simply saying the impact of steroids isn't, on a specific person isn't as large as I think a lot of people make it out to be. That's just my opinion because there's still yeah, so many other factors that are involved in you know playing baseball that you know taking a lot of steroids and you know you know being able to recover faster and work out more doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to suddenly become a, a better baseball player because of it. There are other factors in there too, but. Like like I said, you still have to make connection, uh, you know, contact with the ball. If you can't do that, who cares? <laughs> that that's definitely true. Uh, and I'm glad you brought the the speed thing because uh, another A, former A, always fun, Ricky Henderson. Absolutely, I have a flag up in my room that is Ricky Henderson holding up that record stealing base, uh, third base at O.co. So I I love the man. <laughs> Stolen base, always fun, gone out of style. Uh, which is unfortunate, but the occasional guy that can steal base, if you you fall into one of those guys, if you're a fantasy baseball player, uh, you're you're pretty much guaranteed to win the stolen base category. <laughs> Definitely, it's a good time. Mm-hmm.